I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyus-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Bloemfontein in South Africa is Dr. Elise Estazen, who is responsible for the management of the trauma unit and casualty at Pelanomi Hospital in the Free State. Welcome to the show, Dr. Estazen. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you all, and uh, it's an excitement to talk to you all. Thank you. We welcome listening to some of the components that you've got to share with us, particularly within the emergency medicine and trauma space. These environments are highly pressurized, and often it really is the difference between life and death. You've worked in trauma for more than 30 years. Please, can you tell us more about the work that you do, as well as the responsibilities that come with holding this role? Yes, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to give you an overview. I'm responsible for the trauma unit and the casualty department. And just to to inform you about the two areas, uh, the trauma resuscitation unit consists of actually 18 resuscitation beds and our trauma ward uh, of 50 beds. And we've got a short-stay room of about 10 beds. So my daily duties include, like, first of all, patient care, obviously. So that will include stabilizing emergency patients and doing procedures and imaging in order to reach a diagnosis. And after that, our patients will be disposed to either the ward or the ICU or to the theater. Or in cases of minor injuries, the patient may be discharged. Our ward, we've got ward rounds in the morning and are also doing consultant rounds in the ward and also then consulting rounds in our casualty department. And our casualty departments will see uh, the majority of medical emergencies like the stroke patients or uh, heart attack patients or heart failure and all those cases and also minor injuries and omens. We see about 2,500 to 3,000 patients in the casualty department per month and around about 350 to 400 patients in the trauma unit. The trauma unit will then obviously see all the major trauma uh, injuries. That's about the patient care. And then I've got uh, the management of our personnel and all the HR issues going with that and including in-service training of our personnel. I also have some management duties regarding infrastructure and our equipment, the ordering, the maintenance, and the financial implication of our uh, equipment. And then I've got some management duties. I need to attend meetings and uh, uh, be on committees, drafting policies, and making sure all reports are done for incidents, adverse events, and issues like that from the hospital. And I also have an academic function. So we're treating the the pre-graduate students. Uh, They are with us on ward rounds, and then after that, um, we need to monitor and assist them and teach them regarding procedures and patient care. 
And I also have the registrar training, postgraduate training then, that we've got academic meetings. And I'm also involved in the in-service training of our hospital personnel, especially um, resuscitation training and emergency training. So that, in short, is more or less what I do on a daily basis and the responsibilities that I have. That is certainly a full-time function from looking at the academic aspects of training up new recruits to addressing the normal management and day-to-day operations within both the trauma unit as well as the, the casualty department. What would you say are some of your greatest challenges in this role? Uh, well, the, if, if I can say the greatest challenges is just to, to uh, manage everything and to attend to anything, but that's what it makes it interesting. It's not the, uh, like a routine every day, and it's different, and that is actually exciting. I'm sure no two days are ever the same and you, your intake is approximately 100 new patients walking through casualty doors alone every day. The other very significant aspect given our world as we currently operate in now with the COVID-19 pandemic is the fact that Pelanomi Hospital is one of the designated hospitals responsible for managing COVID-19 cases. To date, globally, there's been over 4 million infections, over 1.1 million deaths. And in South Africa, there have been over 700,000 cases. And I think we're on the cusp of or just exceeding 19,000 deaths. Firstly, as a doctor, how have you found that life has changed for doctors in the face of the COVID-19 outbreak? Yeah, I think... As doctors, we first of all have a duty to serve and care for our patients. And I can assure you, honestly, uh, just as the community out there is afraid and is stressed, so are we. So we have our fears. We also stressed in this situation, but we need to also care for our patients. The other factor is that sometimes you feel overwhelmed. Uh, It is like an influx of patients and we also get all the referrals from outside. This makes it uh, a bit difficult sometimes and and especially regionally we had like a resistance from other healthcare workers uh, to accept patients because I think it was like a stressful thing and a new thing for all of us. And the other factor that influences the whole COVID uh, environment is that our working conditions are very difficult and physically exhausting. It's very difficult to work with full PPE, the uh, personal protective equipment, um, the gowns, the visors, and everything. It's uncomfortably hot. Uh, it is uh, physical. It feels uncomfortable. And then also, our working environment is is different. It's crowded. There's a lack of space. We need to keep patients apart. It's difficult to to work with that. And our patients are also getting frustrated. The waiting times to get test results because uh, our labs are overwhelmed. 
um, during the lockdown, however, I must honestly say with a lockdown level five and alcohol ban, we saw only emergencies and that was manageable. When the levels changed and we went to level one, it was a bit different. So then we had a flock in of patients, our trauma cases increased. And I think the whole issue of uh, our colleagues got sick. Your your colleague is sick and in a serious condition. That puts another stress on you. Some of our colleagues died, which is a very emotional thing, and you get stressed. So those conditions, I think, actually caused a lot of stress on healthcare workers physically, emotionally, and I think we will really see later the effects of this pandemic on the functioning of healthcare workers. Listening to everything you're expressing, you've witnessed this firsthand on people's emotions, on wearing full protective personal equipment, the mental anguish as well as the the physical stress. One of the things which I think is of, of grave concern as a country is the fact that several countries in Europe have now entered into a second lockdown period because there's been a resurgence in COVID-19. Do you anticipate that from a healthcare perspective that South Africa is adequately prepared for a second wave? Um, I must honestly say uh, prepared maybe in the sense that this is now this disease will not be new to us as we started out. Uh, we will be aware. Uh, we will be much more prepared in that sense that you you will actually be on the lookout for these patients. But uh, emotionally, people, healthcare workers are tired, and it is as if they cannot bear to take it for much longer. Um, or also our resources, I think, uh, it's stretched to the limits at this stage. Uh, we hope that our PPE will last and uh, that really this is putting an additional stress on the functioning of the hospital and then care for the normal day-to-day emergencies. And really, we spoke about it among colleagues the other day that we really hope and pray that it's not happening in South Africa or that it is spread out. But the the problem is it's like a, a situation that you cannot predict the end of it. And that makes it much more tiresome and stressful. You don't know when this is going to end and you don't know when the stress will be over. So I think... In that regard, it's it's very stressful, and from a healthcare worker point of view, we really hope and pray that this is not going to happen in South Africa or that the vaccine uh, will be found. But in practical reality, I think that uh, we all hope for the best, that there's not a peak second wave coming for us again. And the points that you're making are really to reiterate that people adhere to precautionary measures. So to continue with social distancing, to continue wearing their masks, to continue washing their hands frequently and refrain from practices that could expose you 
to COVID-19 because of the, the seriousness of it. Yes, I think, and this is very important, uh, a message that the community must not become ignorant and think that this is now over. We need to adhere to uh, uh, healthy and and sanitizing conditions throughout, uh, wearing a mask, social distancing, and and try to just keep this uh, disease under control. We must not now relax in total and all the good work that has been done, just throw it overboard. We need to prevent a second wave by just adhering to all those conditions. Would you say there have been any specific healthcare implications for women in particular as, as a result of COVID-19? I don't think women in particular, but it all depends on the functions of uh, individual women. It's usually the mother, the wife that's dealing with the kids, the mother, the wife that's dealing with uh, uh, family members coming home from different areas. So maybe the risks are higher, and but the affecting part, I think all of us are exposed equally. It's just that I think the, in the duties that, that the mother or the wife is experiencing that, that she can be more at risk. Traditionally, it's the mother escorting children and fetching them at schools and attending uh, events or making sure that there's food at home. Uh, so these factors can maybe increase the risk of the uh, women in our uh, communities. Our program is a gender-based program, so we have a strong focus in terms of aspects that influence or, or better conditions for women. We've spoken about some of the, the medical and, and healthcare consequences of COVID-19, and we all know that it has had significant social and economic impact the world over and the long-term effects are still to be shown. One of the aspects which came to light uh, in an article which focused on women's leadership spoke about countries that are led by women such as New Zealand, Finland, Germany and Taiwan. And it also spoke about specific management characteristics that seem to be part of female leadership, such as collaboration, transparency, empathy, and delegation. Can you share with us some of your views regarding women in leadership? Um, yes, I think, uh, first of all, the, the woman must be given the equal opportunities uh, in leadership positions and um, um, positions in, in, in leading the country or uh, whether it's a business or hospital or whatever with no judgment, with no focus of waiting them to make a mistake. Because I think women tend to be more hardworking and they are more dedicated with more perseverance. Uh, they add like a, a, a sort of female finesse to it and they are driven to make a success. And I think it's it's they usually put in a lot more effort because they need to prove to themselves and also need to prove it to their families because they're still a mother and they're still a wife with additional functions and duties. But I think really the, the, the mindset of women is 
more to to be with more empathy and more sorrow. Uh, and this is that female finesse that I'm talking about. And I think that is making a difference and it contributes to their success. And obviously, I think there's a lot of factors playing a, a part in that. But uh, if you mentioned, as you mentioned, all those women-led countries, it's, it's actually, we can see that they are an example to a lot of other countries in how they manage this pandemic. It also strikes me that when we see clear examples of positive female leadership, that why we don't see more countries taking an active role in terms of driving female leadership for women to lead their countries? Yes, I think this is this is very important. Uh, I think we must also not just generalize and individualize uh, uh, some of the countries. And I think the focus must be on the mindset of the women. They need to have the motivation and support uh, in order to go further. We need to give them the opportunity to go ahead. But in order to do that, I think women need motivation and like from uh, people having an influence in their lives from school days. Teachers can play an important role, serve as a role model, uh, be an advisor. And I think a lot of countries just need to, to take that step. If the correct women come along, I'm sure that woman can stand up, put up her hand so that she can be the person leading the country and leading those uh, pandemics and important issues in our country. You have got a wealth of knowledge and experience. Given what you know to date, what do you think we need to build on the most to benefit women in the future? Um, at this stage, I think we are actually concentrating and I think emphasizing the education part of it to give them opportunity in the first place to expose them. And the whole mindset of going forward is very important. I really think it comes within. You will have the female or the lady or the girl as from the beginning, you can see that person wants to go forward. And the whole issue is to give her the opportunity in whichever area she is interested. Uh, if I can just take it from my perspective that um, there were certain triggers in school, certain role models in my school career, when I started to realize that this is the model that I want to follow. And if you don't have a, a initiative, either coming from the parents, which means there must be a healthy family support structure, and then a healthy supportive teaching and upbringing, and then obviously the factors going with that to enable you to go forward your upbringing regarding morals and what you're going to follow in life. That must be the base of your growing up. And you must know, whenever you're on your own, what's the difference between right and wrong? What have I learned? 
What did my parents taught me? Uh, what, what did I learn from my teachers to make the correct decision in life? And these factors early on must be available for that goal to make the correct choices in life. And I think that whole support system has got different legs and factors, and it can be different people as long as they are available in that person's life. Thanks for sharing your views, Dr. Estazen. Today, we're talking to Dr. Elise Estazen, who is responsible for the management of the trauma unit and casualty department at the Pelanomi Hospital in the Free State. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of the conversation, Dr. Esther Hazen spoke about the work that she does in the trauma unit and casualty department at Pelanomi Hospital. We also heard firsthand what the experiences are of frontline workers working in the COVID-19 pandemic. And we spoke about the role of women in leadership, both from a country perspective as well as a corporate or organizational perspective. Dr. Estesen, being in the medical space, science, technology, engineering and mathematical subjects have been cited as pivotal for jobs of the future. But when we look at various reports, they constantly indicate that women have been underrepresented in these disciplines. And as a result of that, there will be a gap and a disadvantage to work and job opportunities for them in the new world going forwards. Do you think that the environment in South Africa is supportive enough towards young female scientists? And are there any differences in how women in the sciences are perceived today in comparison to when you were a student? Yes, I, I really think it, there is a difference. Uh, I honestly believe that this has improved over the years. And I think we must uh, say to one another, we're never doing enough. We must always try to improve. And I think one needs to emphasize that uh, from school, from education part, that's where everything starts. And uh, there is some uh, programs available, uh, what what I, I know of and what we personally involved in, that take a girl child to work, where we uh, uh, actively try to get uh, females, girls, and take them to different uh, departments, to different working environments, and expose them to science, research, and uh, physics, and so on. There's also like in expo programs for young scientists that we drive and try to involve more girls. And I think the whole effort must be together in order to expose the young ladies of today to different areas. And as soon as we expose them and motivate them, it's only then that she will be able to make the decision, what is the best choice for her? And I myself think that definitely the the attitude towards women uh, changed. Uh, there's a there's a change in my colleagues to acknowledge the the skills and the characteristics of our females in science and their positions. I really believe that females 
can multitask and they can be much more successful. There's a vast area of careers that they can follow and where they can make a contribution to science and mathematics and engineering. And I really think that these programs must be actively available in schools so that the children can participate, especially our females. We've spoken about education a lot today, and we've also spoken about exposure. What role would you say that education and exposure played in your life? Well, I must honestly say I think um, a big change came in my life when I was in high school. I had a, uh, our headmaster was like in persuasive and he he, he had a, a statement uh, which he made very frequently and he was always telling us, you get nothing for free in this life. To make a difference, to reach your goals, you will have to work hard. And I must honestly say at that stage, I believe he just wants us to pass the, the, the papers and the exams until it really clicked in, in high school days. And I also saw I had a role model. Uh, my maths teacher was a lady. And at that stage in my life, I was always used to male teachers doing the maths. And it clicked to me, if I work hard, if I really keep on working hard, as the headmaster say, you don't get anything for free, you need to work hard, I can be this lady. And I can also do this. So I think in, in terms of education, what that played in my, in my life is uh, my role models. And I also had a, a serious support from my mother, uh, supporting me and motivating me to do better, to always do better. And it was, it was never enough uh, just to pause. You had to do better. And that I appreciated, and that was the driving force for me to just go forward. And that's why, why I say, starting from education point of view, also you need a role model. You need something to follow, to, to have as a goalpost in front. That's you, what you're aiming for. Absolutely. I mean, role models, I think, are, are sometimes underestimated as well as, as mentorship, but they provide something tangible, something for you to visualize and see what they've achieved and bring that into your own ambitions to become that. One of the questions that I ask my guests on this program who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success, whether that has been a particular person in their life or whether it has been about perseverance, hard work. What would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? I I think that the the hard work and perseverance is definitely uh, the most important thing to go forward. The, there's a there's a saying to say that even if you go forward a little bit, the direction is forward, and you keep you must keep on going. Uh, also, key drivers for me was 
uh, not to let any obstacles or difficulties stop you. It is not the obstacle or the difficulty that, that needs to block you, but it's how you go about to it, how you're going to manage it, and that makes you stronger. The other uh, key drivers for me was to take responsibility for your decisions. Whatever you decide in life, take responsibility, deal with the consequences, and make the best of it. And also to be very, very consistent, honest, but going forward. And like I said, my most important thing was uh, to have the perseverance to go on. It's not uh, all of us at some other stage, there will be a problem or there will be an obstacle. But it's how you deal with it, how you, how you manage that obstacle, and that makes you stronger. And it's not that the obstacle can throw you off course. You must see it as a detour, and you will deal with it, and you come back and you follow your goal. And that's don't give up. Just don't ever give up. You just go forward. And that's, I think, one thing that one must learn very early in your life, to be able to go on. You have a great tenacity about you, and I really liked your expression where, you know, people often give up because they're not seeing progress. But when you said, even if you go forward just a little bit, it's still in a forward direction. You're still moving. You're still going towards your goal. Earlier you mentioned your maths teacher as being a role model and your mom as being an important factor on driving you ahead. Please tell us about some of the other strong women in your life. Like I said, first of all, my mother. And she worked with bring us up and uh, she... We we had some difficult times, but so she's a role model for me. And then early when I started to study, there was uh, the one doctor, and she's actually actually from Central South Africa, uh, a doctor Fosloer, and she became a cardiothoracic surgeon in the early years. As you can imagine, I when I studied, there was. Uh, it was not very often that you see a, a female in that uh, um, career. So I admired her, and I, I wanted to follow a specialization. I also wanted to follow that. And I must honestly say, a lot of my, um, when I started to study, there was like some uh, female consultants, which I admired, and I followed that. And I think... The one person, uh, it made an impression on me, is Mother Teresa. She, early in her life, she decided a goal in her life. And she was prepared to to leave everything. She left the family, she left everything, and she relentlessly focused on a goal. And... I, I'm not saying you must leave everybody because family is your strong support system. I'm saying for her, the way she focused on a goal, that to me was amazing. And if you look back, there's few people that
that will not know her. She's always remembered. She's well known. And it's because the way she followed the goal. And she reached that goal. She won the Nobel Prize and everybody was aware. But I don't want to stop there because not all of us maybe have the opportunity to meet these very important people in the world. I want to say, just look around you. Just look around you. There's women who are pillars in your community. Keep your ears and eyes open and you can learn from them. Because sometimes you lack a family support member. But look around you. There are somebody else in your community. And I can tell you in, in my work situation, I had a previous area manager, a uh, nursing manager, uh, and I'm going to, to, to mention her, uh, my pensioniane. She was the area manager and the dedication to her work the dedication was amazing. We could have tough days, difficult days, and she was just going on and with a big smile on her face. So what I want to say is we all know big, uh, strong women uh, in, in very important positions and who are our role model. But we must not miss all the role models around us. There are a lot of them, and we can learn from them. You're so right. And sometimes when we are lacking, as you say, a, a potential family member to fill a role, that we have got substitutes around us, that uh, friends are, are sometimes the family that we choose uh, in order to, to develop or, or to fill the missing pieces. Please, can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up and what influenced you to become the person you are today? Um, yes, I think early in life, pivotal moments is I lost my dad on a very uh, young age. I was about eight years old. And uh, due to that, it was just uh, myself, my sister and my mom, and she had to bring us up. And we all worked very hard. It was very difficult times. So I, in that stage, I very early learned to take responsibility and to work hard because it was difficult times. Another a big achievement for me was to pass matric and to reach my, my dream to go and study medicine. I wanted to study medicine as from early age. So it was very difficult. So I was uh, accepted and then I started studying and I had to work part-time in order to pay for my studies. So my mother's influence in that regard, although she's a big, she was a big supporter and motivator for me, and I always looked up to her, she was very strict in the sense to say, you made the decision that you want to do medicine, this will take hard work, and it's difficult. So that's your responsibility. So I learned to be responsible. I learned to take responsibility and for my decisions. I decided to do that. So part-time work, difficult times, that was my choice. And I had to live with that choice in order to reach a goal and to reach my dream. And when I qualified, that was my biggest achievement because I 
appreciated it. It was my most precious possession at that stage that I qualified. And I, I had respect towards all other people because I know how hard it must be and how they achieved it. So I think my lessons learned is we need to be responsible. It doesn't matter what happened to you and maybe difficult. Make a decision on what you want to do in life and then you follow that. And some or other way, you will go through it with support, with dedication, with perseverance. You will go through it. And you, you are responsible for what's happening to you. It is what you set your mind on that will drive you and bring you towards your goal. Thank you very much for sharing that inspiring story of your journey and the belief and the dedication, but also very importantly, taking action and being responsible for your choices to get to your goals. Dr. Estesen, we are coming to the end of the show. And as we close out, could I please ask you to share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to younger women that are listening to us on the continent? Oh, yes. I want to give you some inspiring words. And I think there is a lot of inspiring women out there that said very important things. And some of them I want to share with you. The one is from Gita Bellen, and she said, Success depends on where intention is. And that's the start for all of us. We need to have intention to do whatever we want to do. Set your mind on that. And the next quote that I want to give you is, you should always be aware that your head or your mind creates your world. That will keep you going. And the importance of having a goal or a mindset that you are in a direction on the way to somewhere is the next quote by Aline Caddy. She said, a soul without a high aim is like a ship without a rudder. And that to me is important to keep you on track. And then I want to end with the most powerful one, although... Um, this is this is the one that I think is important for all of us. Uh, it was said by Gandhi, and he said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. So I want to say to all those girls out there, you go, go, the sky is the limit. The sky truly is the limit. May you continue to keep touching and inspiring young people's lives as they go through their the medical journey or as patients when they encounter you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much and all the best to all the girls out there. Thanks, Dr. Estesen. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Dr. Elise Estehazen, who is responsible for the management of the Trauma Unit and Casualty Department at Pelanomi Hospital in the Free State.